are many people today who are mistaken in their thinking. We live in a day when everybody says, that's cool, you think that, I think that, no, it doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you, God says you can be mistaken. And God in the flesh said, you are mistaken. Why were they mistaken? Because the same reason many people are, look at verse 29, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. One day soon, all skeptics who spurn God and ridicule those of us who follow him, one day soon they will hear the Lamb, the Lamb of God. The Lamb will say, you're mistaken. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 22 titled, Are You Mistaken? We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. I've looked and watched, and Jesus refused to get involved in a lot of side issues, like tax issues, you know. Uh, he's, not, he's not afraid of controversy, don't get me wrong, but he was here, and we who follow him, we ought to be careful where we align. I was asked this week by a fellow, a well-meaning person, where do you stand on such and such, you know? And I just said, well, you know, I, I kind of steer clear. I've got strong opinions personally about such and such, but I didn't tell him because I was just getting to know him, and I want him to know me as a representative of Christ, not a representative of whatever side of the issue he happens to be on on that issue, you know. So anyway, hearing this, verse 22, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away. Uh, I want to just draw several principles from that wise answer of the all-wise one. Uh, biblical principles. The Bible teaches that God established human government. I mentioned it briefly. When Noah got off the boat, you know, God had to start over, remember? And when he got off the boat, he instituted capital punishment through Noah. He said, uh, and that was the beginning, uh, rudimentary, yes, but of human government. Jesus submitted to the government around him, and he told us to. He said the governing authorities the New Testament teaches are from God. doesn't mean they're always good, but uh, the Bible establishes human government. Christians should pay their taxes. Sorry. Uh, even unpopular ones. I mean, Rome was going to crucify Jesus Christ. Pilate, the Roman governor, said, you want me to crucify your king? Kind of ground their nose in it. Well, I'm not saying only Rome was responsible. The Jews were too. But Jesus said to pay taxes to Rome and yet never render to government what should only be rendered to God. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And let me just apply that just briefly before we move on. Governments from time to time want worship, or I should say perhaps governors, you know. Uh, men arise all through history, and we're not immune to it in our generation, who would love to be bowed down to. I don't care what they say. And at what gunpoint they say it, 
we ought not to. We render to God what is God's. And be careful about trusting in government. I believe that in our country there's a a tendency right now in our generation, right in the climate we live in, to think that the government can answer your needs and meet your needs. And, you know, and I'm telling you, you're going to be sorely disappointed if your hope is in government and your side of the political aisle, you know. Um, and when government tells us to do something we ought not to do, we need to resist government. We told you not to speak anymore in this name, they said in the book of Acts. The governing authorities did. We ordered you not to speak in the name of Jesus. And you remember the apostles' answer? Well, we must obey God rather than men. But don't pull that out every other day. You know what I mean? I got a parking ticket down here, and I thought it was highway robbery. But I didn't say... I'm going to obey God. I'm on God's business. I'm not paying that ticket. And I got to finish that story because I wrote a nice letter that said, I think you should forgive some of this. And man, and, but I had to enclose the check, you know. It was 70 bucks. And I thought, man, that's more than my car's worth. But anyway, I paid the ticket. And uh, just last week, with no letter of apology or anything like that, $25 check came back. And I said, what's this? The government giving me money? And then I said, oh, no, that was my money. They listened to my... Anyway, why did I tell you that? I don't know. Except you can write a nice letter, but don't resist government unless it's telling you to disobey God. And if they want to charge that for a parking place, they built the roads. Okay, let's move on. Verse 23. Uh, before I do, verse 22. Hearing this, this amazing answer... They marveled, and leaving him, they went away. I don't want to miss that. People can marvel at Jesus' words, but still just kind of go away. And I say it happens a lot. Look at verse 15. I'm going to just glance backwards for a moment. When they were shut down by Jesus' first answer, the Pharisees, their response was to counsel together how they might trap him. If you go back further, the whole council was hearing him, I believe, at the end of verse 21, or chapter 21. And uh, when Jesus gave that amazing story that was pointed right at them, verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they became afraid of the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. Uh, each one of these responses is very negative. <laughs> they would have liked to seize him, but they didn't dare because the multitudes were marveling at his words. Then they tried to trap him with another question, and now... When he just says, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, they marveled, but they just went away. And on that day, verse 23, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him. The Sadducees, if the Pharisees were the religious right, 
The Sadducees were the religious left, basically. Simple way to put it. They were, they didn't like each other. And the Sadducees, the Pharisees would say they believed the scripture, but they added to it and they made it into a legalistic web of man-made stuff. The Sadducees basically were religious, but denied the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Elsewhere, I think it's in Acts 23, when Paul stood before them, uh, we're told by Luke that they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the spirit. They were like a lot of people today who would fancy themselves religious, but don't believe in the supernatural. And I find in churches that call themselves evangelicals today, people saying, well, you don't have to really believe, you know, God created the world in six days or that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. And they pick out a couple supernatural things and they say, I don't believe, you don't have to believe that stuff. As long as you believe in Jesus, you know, and just, and they just kind of truncate the whole thing. I'm telling you, uh, Jesus said he tied the supernatural act, his resurrection, to Jonah. And Jesus spoke regularly about Adam and Eve and the creation account. So uh, I'm always kind of a marvel when, when people stay religious but don't believe in the supernatural. Well, anyway, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they came, and they're trying to question him. They're trying to trick him, too. They're making common cause, by the way, with a group they hate, the Pharisees. They did not get along, but they make common cause against God's Son. And so they didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, Teacher, verse 24, Moses said, If a man dies, having no children, his brother as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died. And having no kids, no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh, and last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, and you can almost hear it in their voice, can't you? <laughs> if you believe in the resurrection, we don't. But in this resurrection, you're always talking about the hereafter. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall, be, shall she be? For they all had her. Well, now, first of all, I don't believe them. I don't think there was such a woman. I'd hate to meet her. <laughs> Seven guys? And finally, she, they all died? I think we'd have her under investigation. I think they made up like people do to try to avoid Jesus and to try to avoid truth. They made up a convoluted story, you know? I find people doing that. To try to get out of the Bible, they'll say all kinds of things. Well, anyway, these Sadducees did, and they're ridiculing the idea of a resurrection. But Jesus, you know, he's a lot wiser than me. The way he answers, verse 29, 
Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now let's not miss why this is in front of us. Whatever was written was written for our instruction. That's what I love about the Bible. It's never just thoughts. No, it's God's word for us. So we want to learn what we should. And uh, verse 29, Jesus maybe doesn't start in on their denial of the resurrection. He starts in on their real issue, their problem. And he calls it out. He says, you're mistaken. Oh, there are many people today who are mistaken, just wrong in their thinking. We live in a day when everybody says, that's cool. You think that, I think that. No, but it doesn't matter. We live in what we call the postmodern era. But I'm here to tell you, God says you can be mistaken. And God in the flesh said, you are mistaken. Why were they mistaken? Because the same reason many people are, look at verse 29, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. Failure to listen to God's word. Failure to submit to his power. Manifest in his word. From the first verse. In the beginning, God spoke, created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. God is all power. God, by definition, we would expect him to speak this way. And he does. All the way through, he can do anything. He is the Almighty. Well, anyway, they didn't understand the scriptures or the power of God. These two go hand in hand, by the way. Those who have trouble with the Bible because of the supernatural ultimately have trouble submitting to their creator, God. And uh, their problem is like so many today. One day, by the way, one day soon, all skeptics, Sophisticates, miracle deniers, humanistic egotists who spurn God and ridicule those of us who follow him, one day soon they will hear the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Thirty times Jesus is called the Lamb in the book of Revelation. The Lamb will say, you're mistaken. It's a sobering verse. You are mistaken. Not understanding the Bible or the power of God. And then he explains, verse 30. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels 
in heaven. In the resurrection that they ridiculed the idea of, God's going to have a whole new order. We're going to be transformed. Aren't you glad? My body is on its downhill slide. You say, that's obvious, Scott. I know. I'm telling you. I know. I'm going to be transformed in the resurrection. I'm going to get a new body. There's going to be a whole new order. And uh, there will be no procreation. There will be no exclusive relationships, as in marriage. I had a playwright come to my office, and he wanted to, he was writing a movie, and he wanted to uh, know if the Bible said it, and he'd been coming uh, and hearing the Word of God, and he was enjoying it and learning, and he wanted to know if the Bible said anything about marriage in the hereafter. And I said, well, yeah, it does, as a matter of fact. And we turned to this passage, and he said, wow. And he was just at that stage as kind of a new Christian who was enjoying that the Bible speaks to these issues, you know. Well, there will be no exclusive relationships as in marriage. Uh, but let me put it this way, because I know that's hard. If you're in a good marriage, you go, really? If you're in a bad marriage, you say, Phew. You know, and... To some extent, we can puzzle over it, but Jesus clearly said they're neither given in marriage, and they're like angels. And, but I can put it this way. Every relationship in heaven will be perfectly intimate with God. Right now, I see in a mirror dimly, but then I'll see him as he is. And he'll finish the work he started in my life to where... I won't be letting Christ down and mistrusting him. And, you know, when he gets done with me, he and I will be, and he and, I mean, me and you, you know, uh, our other relationships will be perfect. You say, I can't imagine that. Well, that's because we're still stuck down here. We can't imagine streets of gold either, you know, and a lot of other things the Bible says about heaven. But I'm telling you, it will be great and uh, our relationships with one another. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. In Philippians 3.20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Our real citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this body of humility into conformity with the body of his glory. I'm going to get a resurrection body by the power that he has to transform anything and everything. And over in Corinthians, you can turn there if you like. Uh, yeah, we barely have, but turn to 1 Corinthians 15 because he says these things pretty point blank. 1 Corinthians 15, verse, uh, when he's talking about the resurrection, this is a great resurrection chapter, verse 42, he said, uh, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and here he speaks that there will be a generation. The Bible speaks of death for the believer as sleep. But he says, we're not all going to sleep, Paul writes. We shall not all sleep. There'll be a generation when the Lord comes back that will never even go through the gateway of death. And I hope it's ours. 
He says, we won't all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So Jesus says, listen, there's not going to be any arguments about who's married to who in heaven. And then, notice quickly, Regarding the resurrection of the dead, verse 31, back in Jesus' words here, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God? By the way, the reason they didn't understand the scripture, and Jesus said this regularly, haven't you read? Haven't you read? That humbles me. I ask you today, have you read? Are you reading? Okay. He would call them out on this quite often. I... And the God of Abraham. He quotes Exodus 3. When Moses met God at the burning bush. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. When God said, I'm the God of Abraham, what we would say in Moses' day, Abraham was long dead. But Abraham wasn't dead. Isaac, centuries gone. Jacob, We've got gravestones on them. But no. Why? Because they knew God. And they had God's life. And they're very much alive. And Jesus Christ says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice he doesn't say, the God of, and I'll just leave it blank. God is not the God of the unbeliever. In the sense of identifying with them. Can you put your name in this verse? If you have life from God in Jesus Christ, then you're never going to die. Oh, I know our bodies wear out, just like Abraham. They had to buy a gravesite for him. (laughs) But if the Lord comes for us, we'll be changed like that. If he doesn't, my body's going to die, but I'm going to be with him. I have right now eternal life because my faith is in the God of resurrection. And... uh, I'd love to, I'll just suggest a passage because we're out of time. Go read the end of Romans 4, about the last 10 verses of Romans 4, and enjoy it. The God of resurrection is who we believe in when we believe in Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and he did. And he said, because I live, you shall live also. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Are You Mistaken? A message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. 
You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Saul of Tarsus a man who hated Christ, who was persecuting Christians, a Middle East terrorist who met Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ. And you and I have been so blessed by his writings, the Apostle Paul. Pharisees can come to Christ. When Jesus said to this man, you've answered well, you're not far off from the kingdom it's an amazing thing to me to hear a man who's maybe coming with the wrong motives and maybe in the wrong group, but God is at work in his life and God is able to take a Nicodemus, a Saul of Tarsus, and I think probably this man in Matthew 22. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, You Are Not Far Till then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.